freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcast subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode we're going to be talking about dating the movie hidden figures and that time me and my dad played basketball but first things first Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Bruce Anthony here, and welcome to another episode of Unsolicited Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately, the importance of staying hydrated and taking care of ourselves. Whether it's prioritizing our health and wellness, or gearing up for festival seasons, or just gearing up for whatever season or time of year, there's one brand that's been my go-to for all things hydration, Liquid IV. Speaking of health and wellness, Let's dive into how Liquid IV can fuel your well-being. Imagine starting your day off right, feeling refreshed and energized. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is the missing piece in your daily routine. With just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. It's perfect for those early mornings, pre-workout boosts, moments when you're just feeling run down, or even after a late night or long flights. I absolutely love how convenient Liquid IV is. The packaging makes it easy to bring with me wherever I go. And let me tell you, it's become vital daily part of my routine. The flavors, <laughs> let me tell you something, they're incredible. From refreshing sea berry and strawberry lemonade to classics like lemon lime and watermelon, there's a flavor for every preference. It's like a burst of hydration with a hint of deliciousness. Picture this. One stick of liquid IV mixed in 16 ounces of water, hydrating you two times faster and more efficient than water alone. And with 12 mouthwater and flavors, you'll never get bored with your hydration routine. Plus, liquid IV is packed with five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and of course, vitamin C. It's also made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free of gluten, dairy, and soy. This is hydration at its finest, but it doesn't stop there. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. That's why they partner with leading organizations, finding innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. It's incredible to know that Liquid IV has already donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. They truly walk the talk. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code unsolicited at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code unsolicited at liquidiv.com. Remember folks, taking care of ourselves should always be a priority. So why wait? Head over to liquidiv.com, pick your favorite flavors and experience hydration like never before. Stay refreshed, stay hydrated, and keep rocking those unsolicited perspectives.
Welcome. So first thing I want to talk about is just a little update of the podcast and, and what's going on. So a lot of you guys out there know that, you know, we produce two shows a week, one where it's typically an interview on Tuesdays and then the sibling happy hours, which are typically posted on Fridays. And then on top of that, on our Patreon page, uh, we do an after hours uncensored every week. That's with my sister. That's an uncensored episode with me and my sister. And I try to do at least once a week, no, excuse me, once every two weeks or every 10 days, a talking straight ish episode. That's an uncensored version of my show where it's just me. And I really love doing the interviews. I really love talking to people. I have to be honest with you guys. It's a lot of damn work. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work doing the research for the bios for the people coming up with the questions, organizing the questions so that they flow and then to try to do this each and every week. And, and I will admit that when I first started doing interviews, like, yeah, I went to school for journalism, but I was more of a common comment columnist as opposed to a reporter. And so I didn't really do interviews. I just gave, I just wrote opinion pieces and didn't write that many before I dropped out of journalism school. So I, I, I didn't go to school or take any courses on learn how to interviewing. So I was just kind of winging it the first couple of interviews. And there are a lot of interviews that have been recorded that I just haven't post. And I'm thinking to myself, I will never post them. Uh, and the reason being is because I don't think I was a good interviewer in the first couple of uh, interviews that I did. I feel like with each interview, I'm getting better. Uh, an example of that is some of the earlier interviews. And, and when I say earlier, not even ones that I posted, ones that are that I recorded um, that I haven't posted yet. With some of these earlier interviews, I am really just asking questions and my personality isn't showing through on the interviews and I'm not pushing back on some of the people's answers because I'm thinking of getting to the next question. And now it's a little bit different. The way I've structured the interviews are a little bit different. Yes, I have questions that uh, flow throughout the entire conversation that's supposed to go from the beginning, middle to end, breaking the segment breaks, all that type of stuff. Uh, but now I leave myself space to be more engaging in the interviews and make it more conversational as opposed to an interview. And and I'm still got a long ways to go. I'm, I, I feel like I'm getting better and better at the interviews, but long story short, I was doing, there was a couple of months where every Tuesday episode was an interview. Now I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, I'm probably going to split them up. If there's four weeks in a month, that means that there would be typically four Tuesday shows. I'm going to say about two of them are going to do and going to be interviews and two of them are going to go back to what I did when we with quote unquote first season before we went on a holiday break where it was just me giving my opinions and views. And I know a lot of people have said that they, they kind of missed that. And I say to them all the time, it's on a talking straight ish episode on the Patreon page. Um, but also there are a lot of times if you paid attention to the sibling happy hour last week, like me and my sister dilly daddled for that first segment. And then we have two topics that we kind of talk about and we, we can veer off. But when we do more than those two topics, good God, we veer off subject and, and it's good content. It's funny because uh, we acknowledge that the fact that we veered off. But there are some things that I want to talk about that I can't get to because I'm either doing an interview or 
we're only going to talk about two subjects on the sibling happy hour. And I kind of want to get back to giving unsolicited perspectives with Bruce Anthony. I didn't lose sight of that, but I, I, I definitely want to get back to that. Uh, and one of the things that I, I think that I want to do is have a segment on my personal, you know, the Tuesday show where it's not an interview, where it's just me, where I talk about dating. And I might bring on people specifically for that 15 to 20 minute segment of that particular particular episode to talk about uh, their dating and to get my advice. Because here's here's where I'm going with all this and leading into the next topic, dating uh, that I'm going to address. I have a lot of female friends. And when I say female friends, they are strictly platonic. Uh, I have a lot of them, a great deal of them. And some of them are single. And they ask me for a lot of advice. Do they listen to me half the time? No, they don't. And that bothers me. But also, I realize that I've give great advice, but I'm also horrible in relationships because I don't follow my own advice. So it's very tough for people to, to follow advice. That'll be something that I'm going to talk about later on. But hey, why not give advice on air, right? There are some dudes out here in these streets on these podcasts that are, getting, that are giving dating advice that is really bad dating advice, like horrible dating advice, because it's very toxic masculinity type of dating advice. And, and, and I've gone through a trajectory in my lifetime where I was a hoe. I was a hoe and I'm a reformed hoe. <laughs> what I mean by that is, is I was a womanizer cheating. And then I got to the point where I was like, well, wait a minute, hold up. Like this idea that I've created in my head of the patriarchy where a man could do whatever the hell he wants and a woman has to just stick by her man. And if a woman dare do the same thing that a man would do, would just be wrong. Like I've outgrown that form of thinking. Um, and, and just to treat people like, Hey, look, if I can't be committed and with the woman one-on-one and not cheating, then I don't need to be in a situation. I don't have to be selfish. And that's really what it is. It's selfish. It's, it's wanting that other person completely to yourselves, but unwilling to give yourself completely to that person. I've evolved in my thinking. It's taken a lot of time, right? It's taken some failed marriage, failed relationships, good relationships. Uh, I have some females that I dated who are legitimately my friends now. I also have some females that I dated that will never talk to me again. And I, I don't necessarily know that I blame them for never talking to me again because I was a dirtbag in a lot of things that I've done to women. Uh, but through all that process and being 43 now and having dated consistently for the last 25, 26 years, um, I do have, from what my female friends tell me, give really good dating advice. So I'm thinking that that'll be a segment, um, you know, maybe twice a month where I bring on somebody here to, to, to ask for dating advice, whoever was willing to, to come on, on the show. Uh, we could do just like we did with Allie, you know, when I did that interview with her where she talked about uh, that night on the Metro where you, your face doesn't have to be on there. We don't have to give you a real name. Um, you know, we could just use the audio and just have my face on there, which, you know, I don't mind looking at my face all this time. Um, and we just talk about whatever is going on in your dating life and, and how I can help by giving you a perspective that you might not be looking at or might not want to admit to yourself. So, I think that, that that's, you know, something I'm going to do. And, and these are just updates about what's going on with the podcast. I'm getting a lot of feedback. 
always looking on getting feedback. I don't care if it's criticism, as long as it's constructive criticism, I'm trying to make it better. Um, also, I'm going to be real honest. I'm not going to really change too much. And what I mean by that is, I, you know, I have some people out there, they want me to be a little bit more salacious. And I'm just, that's that's not who I am as a person. It's who I used to be as a person, but it's not, I'm not going to go on, get into like, and no knock to them because obviously they're successful, right? I'm never going to get into a situation where a Jerry Springer or a Maury Povich, you know, or or even like, um, uh, I don't know, like the Shade Room or something like that, gossiping like that. Will I have segments where there's interesting gossip that I want to talk about? Yeah, but that's predominantly not going to be uh, the podcast. The podcast I developed was specifically to this sounds egotistical, but educate, enlighten, give different perspectives, things that you may not have thought about or uh, ever considered. And yes, there's going to be some laughs and some hijinks, but also with every podcast, I feel like there's a lesson to be learned because at the heart of me, I'm still an educator, even though I never stepped foot in the classroom, uh, aside from my student teaching. Uh, I'm, I'm an educator. I feel like, you know, teaching people. Uh, and teaching myself, right? Through all these interviews and these conversations with my sister, I gain more knowledge. I grow and evolve as a person. So that's all I'm trying to do with this podcast. And thank you for following along with us. Yes, the store will be up and running by, before the end of this week. It'll just be one t-shirt to start off with because I'm designing it myself and I don't, you know, I'm I'm not a apparel designer. So it'll be the, the OG shirt. So there'll be a discount that uh, I'll offer for the OG shirt because I'm sure it's not going to be a great design. I don't know. It could be a great design. Maybe. I don't know. But for those people who want the OG shirt, it'll be maybe a collector's items one day. Uh, It'll be up on the store uh, on by Friday. So by saying all that, let's get into dating. And I had a friend send me something that was really interesting um, today, actually, it was today. It was a meme and it was about this girl and, and the female and her boyfriend were laying in a room and she touched him and it was on gummy for those people who that I have to explain what gummy is. He was soft. He wasn't hard. He did not have an erection. And she was like, well, I'm touching it. Why isn't what's wrong? Like, something wrong with me? Are you not attracted to me anymore? Are you cheating on me? And all these different scenarios went through her head. And I laughed because I, the person that sent that to me, they asked, you know, have you ever experienced that? And I was like, yeah, I've experienced that. Absolutely. Women draw these conclusions that, you know, if a man isn't aroused, then obviously something is wrong. And I don't know what women think that we just have a light switch that could turn it on. It's just like you women out there. Like it's, it's not a light switch that you could just turn on. It's you have to kind of get in the mood. Now that mood changes for certain men and certain instances in the relationship, right? In the beginning, doesn't take much for a guy to become excited because he's excited to be dealing with you for the first time. And those first couple of times are new and exciting. It's always going to be ready to go, Right. After you've been with somebody for a while, and I had it, I had an ex um, that used to come over often, and she walked around naked like all the time, right? So it was never a big deal 
to see her naked because it was just like, hey, I'm just just she walked around naked all the time. She was always like that the, the Jerry Seinfeld episode where she was naked all the time. You know, she was legitimately naked a lot, either naked a lot or just in her underwear. And she would be like, well, aren't you attracted to me? I'm like, of course I'm attracted to you. But I literally see you naked all the time. Like there's no mystery there anymore. So that in and of itself doesn't turn me on anymore. Like, don't get me wrong. You still turn me on, but like just seeing you naked doesn't mean I'm set, ready to go. And I, I think a lot of women think that men don't need to be romance as well. And it's something that a lot of men won't admit to, right? Something that they won't admit to and sometimes something that they don't even realize is there is that just as much just as much as women crave that affection secretly men do too like men want to be wanted no man wants to constantly be begging for sex that's when men tend to do other things because on both sides right like for every woman out there there are other men for every man out there there's another woman so not to say that that's right like you try to fix that situation or you leave it, the, the thing is not to do just because you're being deprived at home to go out and seek it and some other avenues, you need to address it there in the house. But also it's like, hey, women, men need attention too. And I'm not, I know what some women are going to jump on. They're going to be like, oh, he's just making excuses for guys to cheat. I literally just said, that's not the right thing to do. Listen and hear me. I literally said, that's not the right thing to do. But recognize that men don't want to have to put in all the work. Sometimes women need to put in the work for the man as well, because it is not a light switch that you can just turn on. And it goes through a certain amount of time where you guys have been together, that those same things that usually turn us on in the beginning are not going to turn us on anymore. Just as those same things for you that turned you on in the beginning aren't going to turn you on anymore. Women are constantly saying, get me in the mood. Well, okay. I can't speak for every woman out there. And I'm not even speaking for, for myself. I've just heard this because I've got a lot of female friends that are just like, he's always trying to do something and I don't, I'm not in the mood. He doesn't try to get me in the mood. Okay. Well, have you explained to him what gets you in the mood? Do you know what your love language is? Because it all goes back to love languages, right? Do you know what your love languages is? Find out what your love language is and explain it to him. If a man really cares about you, he's going to put it into work. Everybody, if a man cares about you, he's going to put in the work to be with you. Trust me. If he doesn't care about you or he doesn't have the capacity to put in that work that lets you know where you are in that situation. But don't like there's too many people out there that. And the reason why they switch from new relationship to new relationship, because early relationships are always easy, right? It's easy when you don't know somebody to get to know them. It's easy when you've never been with somebody to be with them. It becomes harder once you know them. And, 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 and what I mean by that, you know, the conversations become different in the beginning. Conversations are very like interview process, right? You're getting to know the person as you move along, your conversations change, right? Same thing physically in the beginning, women, y'all don't have to do too much. Like you don't. And, and theoretically women, y'all don't have to do too much anyway. 
right? Even after a certain point of time, it don't take much effort to, to, to get us going, right? Little attention, ask us, genuinely ask us about how we're doing. And we may not talk about it. Odds are we're not going to talk about it. Odds are we're not going to share. But that doesn't mean stop asking. Still need to ask because at least that lets that man know that you genuinely care about him. He just has a hard time expression, expressing what it is that he's dealing with. And that may be something that he grows out of might not be right. Like I know that's an issue with me. I still don't know that I've grown out of it. I guess not guess. I know what I'm trying to say is so often with my female friends, they get to a certain point and then they just like, it's not what it was. And of course, it's not going to be what it was in the beginning because it was fresh and new. For, when you first put on a pair of J's, all of y'all know what I'm talking about. When you get those, they get those fresh J's or just shoes, whatever you like, but I'm specifically talking about Jordans, but it could be anything, right? And it's brand new out the box. First time you put them on, woo, that feeling, it's like a drug. It's intoxicating. It's addiction, right? First time you see that movie. Oh man, first time you hear that song. And dating is like a drug. Our first love typically happens in high school. And and in high school, our whole world is that love. And when it doesn't work out, we're heartbroken and it could damage you for future generations, right? I mean, not generations, for future years and future relationships, it could damage you. But there's something about that that first love that is so intoxicating. It's like that drug that you take that first hit. It's never as high as it is that first time, right? But it's because you're young and you're dumb and you're naive and you're not seasoned and you're gullible to what life could be. Instead of what life is, instead of dealing with realities, you're dealing with possibilities and possibilities you can't even comprehend because you're so young and dumb. Of course, no other person that you meet is going to feel like that again. That's the first time. First time you do anything is a magical time. It's the first. It's not going to live up to that. Got to stop looking for that moment that you once had. You got to stop being in these relationships for three, four months, cutting it loose because it doesn't feel like it did the first month or the second month. Relationships evolve like people evolve. It grows, but you got to keep working at it. And I'm not talking about like my sister brought up that struggle love, not struggle love. Struggle love is something different. That's toxic. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things get a little dry, get a little boring. It's because y'all have gotten to know each other and all the newness has worn off. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you two. That just means that this relationship has to evolve just like in anything in life. The friendships that you have, these 20, 15, 15, 20, 30 year friendships that you have, the friendships aren't the same as when you first met. Friendships evolve. Why would you think relationships would need that same amount of evolution? And why would you think that you wouldn't need to put in the same amount of work that you did in the friendship into that relationship? Matter of fact, you need to put in more work in that relationship than you did in that friendship because that relationship is that for everything. At least that's what you're trying to get to is that for everything. And, and yet it sucks sometimes when you're with somebody three, four, five, six, 10, 20, 30 years and things end, and you got to start all over. Yeah, that sucks. Right. That's also life. That doesn't mean that that time was wasted. So you can't be afraid 
to take a chance just because you're fearful that it might go left. A lot of things in life go left, but sometimes things go right. So in everything that I'm saying here, going to physical, as I brought up earlier, emotional and all that stuff for both genders, sexualities, everything. Relationships, romantic relationships take work. And just because things get a little dry doesn't mean that you give up. Just means you need to switch up. Quit being born with your lazy ass, just eating dinner and watching TV every night. We gonna change it up tonight. Next time, pull out a Wongo puzzle and enjoy the conversation and fun that happens when people puzzle together. Wongo is a perfect balance of good challenge without being so hard you stop talking to each other and leave your family forever. I know I'm close to that almost every time me and my family get together. Trust me, once you try Wongo, you'll never go back to that boring, old-ass jigsaw puzzle. They are 100% wooden pieces, so they'll last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same, and you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. With stunning designs and unique shape, Wongo puzzles are a cut above the rest. I love doing the snow globe puzzle myself. It was great to pull out a puzzle and be done in a night and not have to worry about it being on the table for a week. Well, not on the table, on the floor. And definitely not for a week because crypto would mess it up. So what are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code unsolicited to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use code unsolicited to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. So I, I have my sister and another friend of mine who is constantly criticizing me saying that uh, I can't be this guy that's for gender and equality and, and sexuality rights and, and, and stick up for women and, and all these type of things when I don't support it in real life. This is what I mean. The Lady Queen came out, Lady King, excuse me. The Lady King came out last summer. I was all hyped. I was telling my friend, yeah, I'm going to go see this movie. The movie looks good. Never went to the movie theater to go see it. And it's not like I didn't go to the movie theater because I went to go see, I don't know, Creed 3. There was probably some Marvel movies that I went to go see. There's probably a DC movie that I went to go see. Some stuff came out. I went to go see him. I didn't go see The Lady Queen. And I was bringing it up to my sister and my sister was like, yeah, that sounds about right about you. And I was like, oh, man, I don't want to be one of those type of people that talk about they support something, but don't actually put the action in behind it. Because I, she said, yeah, I knew that when you didn't go see Hidden Figures. And I was like, mm, damn, I didn't see Hidden Figures. So there was a big storm in D.C. this past weekend and the power went out. When the power came back on, the cable was out. So I was like, OK, this is, you know, what am I going to do tonight? I had to stay home because my dog was anxious because of the storm and it peed all in the living room like I couldn't leave him. So I was like, I got to stay home, but I don't have cable what I'm going to do. So I have an external hard drive that I have all these movies stored on from back in the day when before we had all these streaming services that you could pull up any movie that you wanted. And sure enough, in a special folder called The Blackness that had all these black movies, um, 
I chose to not watch the Mac for the 277th time, but I chose to watch Hidden Figures. And let me just tell you a little bit about Hidden Figures. Uh, Hidden Figures is a biological, uh, biographical, not biological, biographical uh, drama filmed and released in 2016 and is based on a nonfiction book of the same name by Margaret Lee Sutterly. The film tells the remarkable true story of three African-American female mathematicians who played a vital role in the early years of the United States space program, NASA, or what later became NASA. Movie sheds light on the significant contributions of these unsung heroes during a time of racial segregation, gender and uh, discrimination, gender discrimination. Uh, The film is based in the film is set in 1960s. It's at the height of the space race between the. United States and what was the Soviet Union. And it revolves around three women uh, working, three black women working for NASA, uh, Langley, the Langley Research Center that was based in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, Kathleen Johnson, who's played by Taraji. We know her as Cookie. Um, It's hard out here for a pimp. Uh, Baby boy. Been a lot of things. Also from the D.C. area. Uh, t- she plays Katherine Johnson, a talented mathematician with exceptional skills in analytical geometry and trajectory calculations. I don't know what that is, but it's some tough ass math. Uh, then there's Dorothy Vaughn, a skilled mathematician and supervisor who c- becomes the first African-American woman to supervise a group of white employees at NASA. Yeah, that comes a hell of a lot later, but okay. And then Mary Jackson, who's played by Janelle Monet. excuse me, Dorothy Vaughn is played by Octavia Spencer. Janelle Monet plays uh, Mary Jackson, a skilled mathematician and aerospace engineer who becomes the first African-American female engineer at NASA. So in the movie, they have these three black women who are. I always credit myself on math. And look, they know math, right? Like they're basically rocket scientists uh, with math and calculations and they're mathematicians that help NASA launch, uh, basically, I guess, win the space program against the Soviet Union because we were the first people to walk on the moon. They don't show that part, um, but they just show their contributions. And everybody was like, this is an inspirational movie. You should watch it. I have a friend of mine who was a 60 plus year old white woman that works for NASA that, that raves about this movie. My sister raved about the movie. All the other people raved about the movie and the movie is good. The movie is good. But I didn't have the same reaction from the movie that everybody else did. I was pissed off. Why was I pissed off? The movie portrayals, and I'll go through the historical accuracies of the movie and some things that were dramatized later on. But the movie's portrayal is that basically without a whole host of black women, this NASA program would have taken a a hell of a lot longer to to jump off if it jumped off at all, because the Soviets were the first one to launch a successful satellite. Right. And that's what Kennedy, President Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy was like, look, we need to get the space program up and running. We need to start doing some rotations around Earth with astronauts in space. We need to get some people up there. And, And basically in this movie, these three women are central and critical figures. But the most important thing is Black people were central and important figures in helping NASA all while being in Virginia, which was a segregated state. 
So they're facing all of these types of oppressions and discriminations and things of that nature. And I didn't look at this as some triumphant thing. I looked at it from a reality position. And the reality position is, had there not been the segregation, had there not been this separate but equal Brown versus Board of Education where Black children were getting what they said was equal, what was not substandard education. And this cream of the crop has to bubble up through these ridiculous circumstances to be at NASA and still face discrimination. Maybe, just maybe, if this country hadn't been so damn racist, maybe the Soviets wouldn't have been up there in the first place. Because obviously Black people had a tremendous contribution to the space program. So, yeah, no, I, I watched this movie and just got mad because I, I don't see it as the rose growing from the concrete, which is exact, exactly what it was. It's it, and and I don't look at it as, well, see, look, if we could put our mind to anything, we can accomplish it. No, these three women were absolutely remarkable. Not everybody is like that. Not every, not everybody can be that rose growing from the concrete. Sometimes you don't get past that, that, that initial surface. Sometimes you can't break through the concrete. And how many people actually can? Why should there be concrete there in the first place? This is the point I'm trying to make. And these movies that portray this, I said this in one of the earlier episodes during Black History Month, that we need to be careful about these movies that portray these situ that portray Black people making it through these tough situations. See, they can do it because if they can do it, anybody can do it. No, no, that's not the case. Barack Obama became the first Black president. Why? Because he, you know, was just another Black guy. No, he's freaking phenomenal. That's the reason why a great orator, a, a, an extremely intelligent person, charismatic, like that doesn't grow on trees. You think just black people, just all black people are like that? No, not all black people are like me and Barack Obama. <laughs> okay, that was a joke. I'm not comparing myself in any way to Barack Obama. But, but you understand the general point that I'm trying to make. Yes, there are people that can make it through these in, these really tough circumstances. And I talk about this all the time with my female friends, because it's not just a black issue, right? It's, it's also a gender issue. It's not just a race issue, it's also a gender issue. I have some really successful female friends and they're like, well, I didn't face any discrimination and I got through it. And I'm just like, well, one, just because you didn't see the discrimination or didn't feel like you was being discriminated against doesn't mean that you weren't discriminated against. One, because there's perception and then there's reality. And Mary Washington, and this is another reason why I don't like movies like this, because Mary Washington said, and not, excuse me, Catherine Johnson said, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's the, the main character, the main mathematician, you know, basically in this movie, she, she basically NASA, right? Um, which isn't entirely the truth, but yes, she was one of the main mathematicians and calculation people in NASA for generations, right? Um, she was like, yeah, I didn't face that much discrimination. Okay. All right. Time out. And that's great. I can't tell people how they should feel. I'm not going to tell people how they should feel, but people need to understand the words they use. So white people and not all white people, but white people who want to say <laughs> that there were some benefits to slavery, right? Those type of people that want to whitewash or 
play down the issues of slavery. And, you know, when I say slavery, I, 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 slavery lasted until 1963 to me, 1965, 67, to the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act, slavery, the whole institution. Yeah, no, black people were getting paid meager wages, right? Black people were getting homes in certain neighborhoods. Black people had rights, kind of. They could use certain schools and certain water fountains and certain bathrooms, right? But not really. Not really given all of their rights and freedoms under the Constitution. So when everybody says, is this country started in 1776? I say, no, the hell it didn't. It didn't even try to begin to start until 1967. It was 90 years later. But okay. All right. So when I get on this institute, when I get on this thing about slavery and the oppression and Jim Crow and all these type of things, right. and you have somebody like Kathleen Johnson, who is a remarkable human being that says, well, I didn't, I didn't face discrimination. It, that's not true. She absolutely faced discrimination. How she feels about it is how she feels about it, right? But when you say things like that, that gives certain white people, certain white people, not all, but certain white people, the, the ability to say, see, she did it. And that's, you can't compare her to everybody. Hell, you can't even compare her to, to, to the other mathematicians that, that was in NASA, the other white guys that was in NASA. She was above them. She's smarter than them. Now, just imagine, just imagine if she hadn't been relegated to this separate but equal type of bullshit that was going on during this time. Maybe what if she had gotten accepted and, and been able to go to MIT? We could have been looking at the greatest mathematical mind since what, Einstein? Right? Like she didn't have the advantages and yet she that rose grew from the concrete and was so exceptional. But no, that's not a common thing. This is not a common human. These three women were not common people. They were exceptional. Hell, you have to be exceptional to be in NASA in the first place. You have to be exceptional, exceptional to be a white man in NASA. During this time, to be a black woman in NASA, you have to be you have to be the you 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 the cream of the crop. You at the top of not just black people, but people in general, mathematicians in general. So that's the reason why I get mad at these movies because they portray. They portray these situations as one, they downplayed the segregation, right? The worst the segregation got was they got pulled over. They weren't pulled over. A cop, they were broke down the side of the road and a cop pulled up to them and they got nervous and they played it a certain way and a cop gave them a, a, a ride to the NASA facility. Okay. That shit's not real, right? Like 1960s in Southern Virginia. Let me remind everybody, I'm from Southern Virginia. This town called Lynchburg, Virginia, and I lived in Illinois and I lived in Richmond and Lynchburg, Virginia was the first time a white person ever said the N word to me. And I wasn't even in double digits yet, like an age. Lynchburg, Virginia. So I know a little something about Lynchburg, Virginia. Lynchburg, Virginia is when my basketball coach at the time said that he didn't get the promotion for the athletic director because of affirmative action because a black man did. And I said, well, didn't didn't coach like get his master's? Do you have your master's? So he's got more educational background and he's got the same amount of uh, experience as far as working in schools than you did, at least to, to my knowledge. And you could have not interviewed well 
Plus, there's some shady stuff going on in this basketball program. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's the reason why you didn't get the job. But this is Lynchburg, Virginia. So in the South, I'm supposed to believe that a cop sees three black women on the side of the road broke down and doesn't cause doesn't cause you know little riffraff. Come on now. And yes, there were segregation, and they did like say that with colored bathrooms, and they made a big play about her having it. In the movie, they made a big play about Katherine Johnson, Taraji P. Henson's character, having to run across a whole campus to use a colored bathroom instead of the whites only bathroom. And then the, the main white character uh, that was played by Kevin Costner, who was also Superman's daddy. So and. Also, Whitney Houston's bodyguard. So Kevin Costner has always had an invitation to the barbecue. But that's neither here nor there. In this particular scene, he finds out that the reason why Kathleen Johnson is, is is late or not at her desk is because she's got to run across the campus to to uh, the, the colored bathroom. So he goes and grabs a sledgehammer and knocks down the sign for the colored bathroom, which is a trope in a lot of these movies that deal with black people is that there always has to be a white savior. And I read up, I was like, did this really happen? No, that did not happen. Nobody in NASA was making strides to improve the racial uh, segregation in Virginia at the time, even though they had black staff that was influential and important to their program. And so these are the things that piss me off because you downplay what really is the raw reel of segregation and racism in America, number one. You upplay white saviorism, and that's not a word. I just created it. White saviorism is when a white person is portrayed as saving a minority group. And it doesn't, and it's always a white male. Uh, it's not always a white male, unless it's you, Denzel Washington and Equalizer, and you can save a little white girl, or him and Man of Fire, you can save a little white girl, but it can only be Denzel Washington. He's the only one that's loud. And Will Smith, back before, uh, back before he, you know, he slapped Chris Rock. But yeah, no, like the idea that that there has to be this white savior to always help black people in, in their time of need was just not true. Uh, the only white savior I know of in this country's history is Lyndon Baines Johnson, the greatest president that I that I think ever existed. But so, yes, I watched this movie and it just pissed me off. It pissed me off that it it, it is showing. The racial strife and the discrimination that these women are under, but not to the fullest degree. They dull it down to make it palatable to the masses, which I feel like is a disservice because people can look at it and be like, oh, only thing black people had was told they couldn't go somewhere and get side-eyed. That's not so bad. No, black people got raped, beaten, killed. Let's not play that down. Let's make it what it is. And stop holding up individual black people that say, like Tim Scott, America's not racist. Okay, if America isn't racist, it sure has shown the characteristics of being racist throughout its entire existence. It's been more racist than it hasn't been. Let's just say if they if the country stopped being racist in 1967, 
right? So 67 was how many years ago? Well, 50 years that 50 years from 67 be 2017. So that was what 50 doing math real crass, real fast, 58 years ago. All right. So 50, if somebody was born in 1967, they'd be 58 years old. Yes. No, they'd be 56, be 56. I did the math wrong to be 56, which makes it even worse, right? So let's say the country has not been racist for the last 56 years, which by the way, my parents are in their 60s, okay? So that would mean there'd be, I'd be the first generation born in this country where the country was not racist, okay? And, and let's just say that we only count the foundation of this country from 1776, right? Because everybody wants to say that. So throughout this the history of this country from 1776 to its current time, it has been more racist than not racist. That's just by the laws and the things that were done. It's been more racist than not racist. So to say that this country isn't racist or doesn't still harbor those feelings when there are people that are living, that are still living, that were living during the time where legally this country was absolutely racist, like legally on paper, laws, right? We're still absolutely racist. Come on now. But my problem is, is you got the Tim Scotts in the world. And I'm not putting Katherine Johnson up there with Tim Scott, but when you have Katherine Johnson say, well, I didn't experience racism. I'm, once again, I'm not going to tell anybody what they should feel emotionally. That's not my place to tell anybody what they should feel emotionally. But to say something like that gives certain, once again, I'm going to clarify, not all certain, a segment of the white population, the excuse to say, well, see, she didn't experience racism because that's all they want is one. Never mind. It could be one to a million. It could be one person that says, well, it wasn't that bad. Nobody wants to admit that they're part of something that did something wrong. Right? Like nobody wants to admit that if, if you've wronged somebody, if, if you're in a personal relationship with somebody and you have wronged them, you might admit to yourself, yeah, I mean, what I did was wrong, but I did some good things too. Nah, that doesn't negate the fact that you wronged them. Right? And, th- and by the way, there were no good things that were done for black folks. <laughs> and so I'm, that's not even a fair comparison. It's just wrong things. And there's worse and not not as bad as worse. That's basically what it is, okay? So you just gotta be careful. Certain people and certain groups have to be careful what they say to give other groups or people that have oppressed them the excuse to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. And I feel like that's what this movie did was saying, oh, it wasn't that bad and look, some people made it. When in actuality, there are, the percentage of people that are that excellent is is minuscule. And there are more people who are average and maybe some people above average who still can't crack that concrete. So that was my problem when I was watching this movie. Once again, I think it was a good movie. You know, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the acting in it. Um, But, you know, besides downplaying the atrocities that black people were facing at that particular time, up playing the white savior, um, you know, the, the movie wasn't, it wasn't for me. It just made me mad. It made me more mad than it made me happy. And what really pissed me off was the kicker. 
This movie was made in 2016. All this stuff happened in the 50s when Kennedy was still like Kennedy was still alive. Kennedy was assassinated in what, 53, 54, somewhere around that time. It was a long time ago. That was a real long time ago. So it took NASA over 60 years to finally recognize this women. That were supposedly extremely influential and important to, to the NASA program. Still took NASA 60 years. But as Tim Scott said, we don't live in a racist country. Yeah, right. All right. I have my little rant. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm not going to say any more about that movie because I'm still kind of a little fired up about it. I want to tell a story that's going to be more comical. But, yeah, no. So, y'all know how I feel about Hidden Figures. But let's detour and let's end off the show with with a story that I don't know if it's I don't know if it's really, really funny, but I have always found it humorous. So my dad is only, he's 21 years older than me on my birthday. And then shortly after he becomes, he has a birthday and he's 22 years older than me. So I don't know exactly how age, how old he was during this time, but I'm going to say that I was 14 or 15. Uh, and my dad had to be, you know, 35, 36, 37, younger than what I am right now. So very much a very young man, even though at the time I thought he was old as hell. But being older than that now, I'm realizing my parents were young and my parents were a whole vibe because they used to listen to the same music. And of course they would because they were only so much older than me. And I used to be like, stop listening to my music, not realizing just how young they were. But one of the things about having a son that is only 21 or 22 years younger than you, that when he enters your teen years, you're still in your physical prime and you can play sports. And that's one thing that I cherish that I had with my father that a lot of young men don't have those type of situations is to just go out there and play sports with, with their, with their dad, where it could be competitive. And the games with my dad were always super competitive uh, because he was a young man and he was an athlete. You know, my dad was an athlete as well. Uh, played baseball, Basketball, ping pong, you know, my dad is an athlete. Around the age of 12 or 13, when I, I had my growth spurt and I was about the same height as him, I, mean, I was about six foot, um, my seventh, eighth grade year going into ninth grade, you know, ninth grade, I think I grew taller than him. And I started playing basketball like seriously, you know, going into high school, like I played for the middle school team, but going into high school, like I started playing basketball, like it became like a job. And uh, I started practicing. I used to play on these AAU teams. So I was traveling all over the place. So, you know, I got good. And my dad, being the young man that he is, still trying to establish his fatherly dominance, would play games with me during the summertime, you know. And this is how they would always start. At 12, I think it was the first time I beat him like really beat him where he wasn't holding back where I really beat him, but it wasn't consistent. You know, 13, we started, you know, he'll lie and say, if we played three games, he was winning two and I was winning one. And I would say, nah, if we played six games, it was a three, three split by the age of 14, that really started to change. Like I was winning 60 to 70% of the games. Uh, And then by the age of 15, like the summer I turned 15, 
like I'm fully on, like I'm a starter on varsity at this point. Like I'm traveling and I'm playing against guys that eventually would go on to the NBA. So my game grew exponentially. And if we played three games, he would definitely win one. He would, he would win one. The other two games would be blowouts. And he would typically win the last game. And my dad had this thing where he would just get hot playing on the basketball court and he just would not miss a shot. And the games would typically be close, but you know, I would still beat him. And it would start in the summertime. In the beginning of the summer, he'd be out of shape. And then I would beat him pretty convincingly. And by the end of the summer, because he went through his own little Rocky montage training program because he couldn't let his son just demolish him on the basketball court. We'd be playing again by the end of the summer and the games would be a little, a little closer, a little tighter. So I'm finally at the point in my age and evolution that summer that I turned 15 because I'm pretty sure this was the last time that that he ever played me one-on-one on basketball. Uh, so I'm turning 15. I'm going into my sophomore year of high school. Like I said, I'm basically, I'm a starter on the varsity team and we got good players. So I'm playing against good players. I am a good player. I'm beating him pretty convincingly, my dad, every time we play. And it would get to the point, once again, my dad is still a young man, but it would get to the point where I was slow footed, but had a quick first step. Don't ask me to explain it to you. I can't explain it. I am not fast when it comes to running, but if I have to make quick movements, quick lateral or vertical movements, I'm and my first step is really, really quick. So there would be times where he'd be guarding me and I would make one move and I'm doing a layup and he's still six or seven feet behind me. <laughs> it's like, boy, you got quick. So there was one time and I, and I do believe it was the last time we ever played. It was an intense game. And one thing that me and my dad would do was talk a lot of trash. Um, he did that on purpose because he was like, this is going to toughen you up. And he was actually right. Like I couldn't play basketball unless somebody talked trash to me. There was a different level that I would attain once somebody talked trash to me. And so we were talking trash back back and forth and it would get intense. It would get past the point of father, son. It'd be like two dudes just playing basketball. That's what it would get to. And these games would get kind of heated, heated as far as competition. They would get kind of heated. You know, we're talking trash and, and I'm I'm talking trash because he can't guard me anymore. I'm blowing past him doing layups. It's getting to the point where I'm saying, look, I'm not going to shoot no layups this game. I'm just going to beat you with jump shots. Like it's, it's borderline disrespectful <laughs> what I'm doing to him. And then there was one move that I did. I think I called it out before I said it. I said, I'm going to go 20 legs and cross you up and go right past you and do a left hand layup. And he's like, you ain't about to do that. So I did it. And he was so determined for me not to get this layup that he runs at me full speeds. He charges at me. And there's this rim. We're playing outside on the blacktop. There's this rim. It's a pole. It holds up a backboard and a basketball rim. And behind the rim is this this huge, like, 10-foot fence, right? Like one of those chain fences, right? Just, you know, it's a playground court. So I go over the layup. And he pushes me, I swear it was with all his strength. He pushes me with all his strength into the fence to make sure he would always do hard fouls, but this wasn't a hard foul. This, this was this was like if you watch old 1990s NBA basketball, this was the Detroit Pistons, New York Knicks foul, right? So he pushes me all into the fence with all his strength and might. And remember, he's still a young man. He's 
36, 37 years old, right? He's still a young man. Uh, he's still in his physical peak and he's been working all summer to get to this point where he can be at his physical peak to give me competition. The only problem is, is that before we that would work in the past, now we're at a point in my basketball skill where it doesn't matter how good a shape that he gets into, I'm just too good of a player. So he pushes me all into the fence and, it, and he stops and he says, hold on, man, hold on. Let's let's take a break. Because I, I, I yell out, this is one of the only times I cussed around my, my, my dad. And this was considered a cuss word around my dad still. Damn, dad, what's going on? He's, he's, when he pushes me to the fence, I was like, damn, dad, what's going on? And he's like, you're right. Hold on. Hold on. Let's take a break. Let's take a pause. Let's calm down. I was like, I don't need to calm down. You need to calm down. He's like, you're right, son. You're right. <laughs> you, my son, this got a little too intense. Let's let's calm down. And that was the last time that we played because one, he'll never admit it to himself. If I had him on the show right now, he'll never admit it to himself that that was the point in which he realized there was a point of no return. There was never going to be any more competitive games uh, between me and him. I just, my skill was just better than his uh, and it wasn't going to be competitive anymore. And yes, he talked trash. We did physical basketball. He taught me to be tough on the court. But at the same time, he had forgotten in that moment that I was his son because it was almost like he wasn't trying to hurt me, but he could have he could have seriously hurt me. And it was at that moment he realized to himself, this is my son. I love my son. I don't want to hurt my son. I'm just not going to play basketball with him anymore. And that was the last time. I swear, I think that was the last time. We may have shot around a little bit, but never a full-fledged game. That was the last time we played because it had gotten to that point. It was just over. And that's just one of a million things that I've, my dad's going to come listen back to this show. <laughs> and he's going to be like, Bruce, you was telling a whole bunch of bullshit on that show. No, this is tr the truth, right? It's just one of a whole host of things that eventually I got so good that my dad just quit. He quit with uh, Double Dribble. He quit with Soul Calibur. All the video games that we ever played, the only thing that he's been able to consistently beat me in is ping pong and every now and then pool. But uh, I don't, well, he has a pool table at his house that he plays all the time. So I I'll still give him pool. But the rest of that stuff was past. And it's just funny. If I have a child, I won't ever have that type of relationship because I'm so much older. I won't have that that type of relationship where it's not, it's not, he's my father. So it's not big brother, little brother, but almost, almost because we were that close in age where you could still have these competitive matches. Um so yeah, that was pretty cool. It's really cool sometimes to have young parents. And also another side is you grow up with them. But that's that's really cool now that I look back on it, having young parents to grow up with that, you know, my mom and dad was a vibe. They listened to the same music. They were some young cats and and uh yeah, but that was a time that my dad took it a little too damn far. <laughs> you know, hey pops, sorry, but I was just too good. Fact of the matter is, whether you want to admit it to yourself or not. Soon as I entered in high school when I was 14, like the games were no longer really, really competitive. The only advantage that you had over me was that I would get tired by game three. That that was pretty much it. But other than that, like as far as the skill level was concerned, uh, it wasn't even close. But my dad would get hot. He would get he would call them the rolls. He would get on one of them rolls and just get hot and wouldn't miss anything. But that's a story of the time my dad took it too damn far. But on that note. Once again, I'm going to always say thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I'm going to always say, hey, share, like, comment, donate. 
Uh, look out for the store that's going to be opening up later this week for, with that one shirt. But don't worry, the store will grow more as I get feedback on designs and people say, hey, this would be cool to have this type of shirt or or this type of baby, baby clothing or this type of socks. You know, I'll design them and put them on the store, you know, whatever you want to buy, buy and, and buying anything, any apparel, any donation or anything like that. We put it right back into the podcast so we can improve the production, improve the audio, keep giving you guys more content, better content. Um, so that's our goal is to consistently entertain you uh, to the best of my ability, my sister's ability and anybody and any guests that I have on here. Uh, so once again, I'm going to say thank you. And until next time, as always, I'll holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, Audi 5000. Peace.